Hey guys, Montel here, and thanks so much for tuning in to this edition of Let's Be Blunt with Montel. Today, I'm talking with a lifelong cannabis enthusiast and founder and, and editor-at-large of Fat Nuts Magazine and co-founder of Three Good Buds. Dustin Hawksworth, thanks so much for joining us on Let's Be Blunt with Montel today, sir. Ah, thank you very much for having me, Montel. It's an honor, man. Oh, no, man. It's an honor to have you also, my friend. Tell us a little bit about your experience with cannabis growing up and how you became aware of its benefits from a very young age. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Would love to. So I was born in, in the mid-70s, so I'm not the youngest guy anymore. But uh, what that really meant for me was um, I have a very large uh, military family. So 22 family members that are either current or former military. Uh, and a lot of them coming back from Vietnam had a ton of issues, right? Health Health issues, mental and physical issues. So Cannabis, weed, let's just call it what it was back then, was smoked in my family, <clears throat> excuse me, on a daily basis. And it was a way to treat sort of PTSD, even though we didn't know it was PTSD back then. Um, and that was really my first introduction into the plant. So it was basically normalized uh, from my earliest moments of my childhood. And how, how young were you, you, do you think, when you first consumed Oh, goodness. So I have a brother who is six years older than myself. <laughs> so I think I was probably handed a joint when I was around nine or 10 years old. Um, whether or not uh, it did anything to me or, or, or whatever, you know, I don't remember. Um, but my first real consumption was late in high school, 16, 17 years old. Um, and of course, it was, you know, just for fun, right? It was, it was recreational. Mm -hmm. And you went on as a recreational user for quite a bit, but at the same time, you also stayed focused in your life. You went on to school, right? Where'd you go to give me a little bit about your background? Yeah, absolutely. So I ended up uh, going to Georgia Southern University. Um, I what's what's funny is I since I had the plant in my life uh, since I was a child, I was very comfortable with it. So I ended up putting myself through school by running pounds from Atlanta, Georgia, down to Georgia Southern University in the legacy or traditional market is kind of how we refer to it these days. Um, and while I was there, I also played college volleyball. So I had a lot on my plate. Um, I did, you know, halfway decent in school, I guess, um, was one of the top hitters in the nation for a couple of years. And all throughout my time, really since 1995, I've been a daily consumer. And I realized that, you know, it, it's not just for fun. And I realized this very quickly, why my parents and the rest of my family or a lot of my family members had consumed when I was young. And it was for health benefits, right? I think that's the moment in my life around probably 95, 96, um, when I realized just how important it was for health care. And it really helped with sort of calming my mind. Um, you learned a lot of that from your your stepfather, right? Who was indigenous, I guess. And, and yeah, absolutely. So I grew up with an. Yep, you're absolutely right. I had a, an indigenous stepfather for nine years, um, who was also a, a consumer. And let's just say I, I I saw a plant or two around the house as well. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of the time uh, that I spent with him was focused on, um, you know, music and art and and things of that nature. And then he, I guess he also taught you a little bit about the, you know, the historical value and medicinal value of cannabis too, right? You know, I don't, I honestly do not remember a lot of conversations around the plant, to be honest with you. 
I think it was more of just, it was completely normalized. I mean, I can even remember a time now, you know, back in the early eighties, it was, things were a lot different. Um, things seem to be a little more relaxed around the plant in the seventies and eighties. I'm not quite sure why, um, that was, but my parents, I can remember my parents being in the front seat of the car driving and my brother and I in the back while my parents are, are smoking, right? Handing a joint back and forth. So it was much more of a, a situation where things were just normalized. We didn't have to really verbalize or talk about it or discuss it in an adult fashion so that I understood it. It was just understood to be part of the family and part of what we did. Gotcha. And now you live in Georgia now. You grew up in Missouri. Those are states that weren't necessarily, you know, safe places in the past for cannabis enthusiasts. What was that like for you then? And how does it differ today? Good question. So you're absolutely right. The state of Missouri, um, you know, just like almost every other state, at least back then, um, didn't really look all that highly uh, on cannabis use. Um, but because I was so young, I didn't really have any, I guess, dealings with it on a daily basis as far as my own personal consumption, right? I was just too young. I ended up moving to Atlanta, Georgia around the age of 11 years old. And really from there, it sort of disappeared for a few years until I got into high school. Uh, my stepdad at the time was not a consumer, or at least that I could tell was a consumer. Uh, and so really the plant came back to me during my high school years. Um, but absolutely, I think we all know that here in the South, cannabis has never been looked upon as, as a great thing, right? And I think, uh, you know- Well, it's interesting. It's never been openly looked upon as a great thing, but we've been all over the South, Kentucky, Georgia, Mississippi, every Tennessee, it's all over the place. However, oh, we're still here, and, you know, people, people will have one conversation on the day while they're holding beer, have another conversation tonight while they're smoking a joint, but you're right. You, you are absolutely right. And it's still, uh, it, it's, it's funny. It's still like that to, to this day where we have a lot of underground consumers, a lot of underground smokers. We, it's a lot of people love cannabis, but they tend to not talk to each other about it, um, which gives me a, a great opportunity to sort of step up and be as loud as I want to be because I'll get support from people and I don't mind taking the heat when I have to. So it's interesting to be here in the South and see how things sort of mix. But as we know, it is medically legal here in Georgia, even though there really isn't a, a true market just yet. There's no grow. There's no manufacturing. There's no dispensaries. None but of it's that. Everywhere. But it's everywhere, right? But it's everywhere. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's, a, it's very interesting when you, you, you talk about it that way, because I got my my wife is from Tennessee. And. You know, we got married. We've been married now for 15 years, getting ready to go 16 years. And I remember back, go oh, 15 years ago, you know, I, I remember the first time I actually met some of our family members who, you know, were couldn't figure out how she married me to begin with. But, you know, <laughs> and, and, and I started kind of just looking around and thinking around. And a couple of times I'd walk out of, you know, Kroger's, smell something in the air, oh, walk yeah. down the street. Smell something there, but nobody was talking about. It. No, nobody was in the cannabis. And I, oh, yeah. I, was, I was very much out and open, so people knew that I was a consumer. Yep. And you know, I have all these these silly little questions, but then at the same time, I'm kind of looking around at some of the family members and going, "Ooh, as high as a kite, you know you are." But that's right. <laughs> yeah, I got you. Go ahead, lie about it if you want. Yep. Um, I think that's still going on right now in the South because, you know, again, I think it's easier to just lie and go off in the corner in the bathroom, you know, than it is to 
actually step up to the plate and tell the truth. Yeah, well, I mean, what you get is your aunts and your uncles stepping out for a, a smoke, but you don't know. We're going to go for a walk like Thanksgiving, right? We're all going to go for a walk, and that's the kind of stuff that happens. Right, well, well there's a whole bunch of people standing around the bar taking a shot of Jack, then a yep. three or four of them walk away and come back, and you figure that they're really giggly, but they're not taking shots of Jack. I wonder yeah. what's going on with that, right? <laughs> exactly, man. Exactly. It's funny how alcohol is so normalized and we're still fighting with cannabis, but we'll get there, you know? And it's crazy. Now, as you entered and progressed through corporate America, let's talk a little bit about what you did, some of the jobs you had before you got involved deeply in cannabis. Sure, absolutely. I spent 14 years in corporate America, and much of my work was centered around sort of the CX side of things or the customer experience side of things, um, consumer insights, customer data. I ran very large programs for uh, companies like Apple, Abercrombie & Fitch, Home Depot, Lowe's, CenturyLink, and the list goes on and on. So that was a lot of what I focused on. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Do you want to know how to become a social media influencer, how to grow an online business, how to make money from your laptop and build a profitable online company? Well, I'm going to show you how in my podcast, Living the Red Life. I built a million-dollar company at the age of 25, a $10 million company at the age of 30, and now I'm the A-list celebrity marketer that speaks around the world on how to transform businesses and make them profitable using Facebook ads, marketing, social media. My name's Rudy Moore, and I'm super pumped to bring you my podcast, Living the Red Life. I know this is going to become your new favorite podcast, and I'm going to show you how to grow a profitable online company step-by-step every single week. And then what what made you say, you know what, I'm going to just stop this silly, tell the truth, come on out of the shadows and, and do something in what is an industry that I love? Yeah, that, that's another great question. So I've I've always been one that's been relatively vocal no matter what position I am in. Um, I have actually failed drug tests before as well um, when it comes to jobs. So I think... What really happened was when the pandemic hit. Oh, really? I got let's. I got fired back in 2018 from the last job, the last corporate position I had. It was sort of a surprise firing. Because of cannabis? Uh, no, it was not because of cannabis. Thankfully, not. Um, it was just. Um, I don't think they liked me anymore, to be honest with you. So they made some changes. Totally fine. Understood. Uh, but what happened was, I ended up going into the film industry for for the past four years. My best friend is one of the the greatest filmmakers in the world. At least I'm probably a little biased. His name's Chris Birdsong, wonderful guy, brought me into the industry uh, and really showed me a bunch of stuff, right? And I was able to work with just a ton of creative people on a a daily basis. And when the pandemic hit, I didn't have anything else to do. The film industry stopped, just like most everything else. So I figured, what is my opportunity now going forward? Let's do something that I truly love. So I finally took a step into the legal side of cannabis and started to develop my voice and meet people and go to expos and all of that kind of stuff. And that's really um, sort of how it happened. Wow. And then what, what made you decide to venture into you know, the written world? I mean, to start a magazine. Or what, what, tell me a little bit about that. Yeah. So that's been a fun one, actually. So over the past 14 months or so, as I've begun to develop my voice within the industry and get a little louder. Um, I wanted to really kind of speak to my network and my connections in a much broader sense, in a a better way, um, in an easier way. 
And I've always been sort of a creative guy. I've written and released three albums on my own. I do some painting. That's something of mine. Uh, you know, so I've, I've always, I'm always looking for some kind of creative dump. So about six months ago, I started to build these covers for a magazine and the name Fat Nugs. I, I know everybody thinks it's kind of silly, but it's sort mm -hmm. of, you know, comes from our underground or our subculture vernacular, right? It's, that's a fat sack. That's a fat joint. That's a fat blunt and so on. So that's where it came from. And I started to build these covers in a way and run it through LinkedIn. And do so so that when you're scrolling on LinkedIn, because at times on social media, especially LinkedIn, things can get a little monotonous. There's a lot of black and white text on LinkedIn. And I wanted to do something that sort of caught the eye that was visually, you know, stunning, so to speak. And it seemed to work. And just after the very first cover, because it was very much cannabis and, and cannabis focused and cannabis and stoner culture focused, people sort of dove into it. They grabbed onto it. And I swear, I couldn't even catch up to the to the DMs in my LinkedIn. I'd never seen anything like that before. And I was wondering, oh, goodness, what the hell did I just do? And so every Friday, I started to post a new cover. And I call it Fat Nugs Friday. And every time I would post one, I would get a huge response. So very quickly, I realized I was sort of onto something. And everyone was asking, where is this magazine? How can I get my hands on it? I want to read these articles. And that's what happened. So it just started to develop from there. And and let's talk a little bit about what it is. Once you got the magazine up and running, what's your objective is? You want to have a, a forum that people can come together and share information? Explain that to me. So really what this magazine is going to do is fill an enormous gap that we currently have in the industry. And that gap is really sharing true cannabis and stoner culture to the rest of the world, um, being that bridge from cannabis and stoner culture to our corporate culture so that we get to introduce and uplift the plant 100% with personal stories that are interjected with science, education, fun, funny, silly stuff that really teach people about the plant from a very personal standpoint, but with a ton of factual information and things that will grab your attention. Gotcha. Well, I mean, uh, that's one of the things that I've been on, you know, a tirade about for now it's close to 20 years is the fact that this industry has done itself as biggest disservice it could ever have done itself. And that is by not educating the masses. Correct. We spend as much time in, in, and I'm not, I'm not in any worse shape or form casting any aspersion, but we spend a lot of time, you know, wink winking among ourselves and not sure. recognizing that, you know, the only way this is going to literally go to the next level is when we stop for a minute and take the time. I just uh, finished a, a podcast today with Dr. Itzhak Kirk, who runs a group called Canformatics. And it's an organization that literally has been doing deep, deep, deep research. They have now published peer-reviewed study information on um, what they've developed is really something called, you know, um, cannabis biomarkers. Uh, where they have now proven that there are biomarkers that exist when a person uses cannabis that actually affect illness biomarkers. Bio, bio so there's, let's say when it comes to autism, which was their first big study, there are certain things that chemically happen in a person with, can, with, with autism or on that spectrum. And those biomarkers that go outside of the norm when they are antagonized by plant-based cannabinoids, they literally bring them within the norm 
And sometimes by reducing some of those biomarkers, they are actually affecting the core of an illness. And they can do this now, they believe, with every illness that's out there. But nobody knows about it. That's, that's and phenomenal. That, that's phenomenal work. And I can't wait to learn more about specifically what they're doing. And I, oh. go ahead, Montel. Go no, ahead. No, I, I want to say, look, look, right now, while you're saying that, then let me give you something here. Sure. Look this look this up when you know we get done. But um the information is company is called um sorry, let me I'm digging on my phone real quick. Okay. He runs, he runs a company that is can fomatics, um, can which you can go up online and find. Okay. And um and it, there's a couple peer reviewed, the recent peer-reviewed study that's on there. Um I would say, you know, anybody in this industry, we all need to be applauding this, putting this information out there as best we can, because it proves the efficaciousness of cannabis as a medicine. Yep. It proves what we've known as a species for over 5,000 years. He's now quantifying this in a way that even his peers cannot refute. Love it. And the more we can do that, the more we can provide that information to people. I know it seems a little heady, but at the same time, it's what pharma has done for the last 40 years. Yeah, it's and necessary. It really necessary. is. That's so, Every time you turn on your television, there's there's an ad for some new drug. Why? Yep. They don't give a damn whether or not um, you even know what the drug is for. They just want you to hear the name. That's why they say it over and over and over and over again, so that the person who thinks it might have something to do with them, goes into the doctor's office and says, have you heard about this drug called XYZ? And the doctor says, oh, as a matter of fact, I do. As a matter of fact, the rep just was here. Let me write your prescription for that. That's yep. how it works. When yep. the public demands, we make change. Yep, I completely agree. We have overall done ourselves a big disservice within the industry by not speaking up more, especially on the educational side, the scientific side of things. But I also think that's relatively understandable, you know, being as though we're still living in a climate where we have a lot of reefer madness driven laws, right? We're still dealing with lawmakers and states that are really holding down a lot of the education and spitting, really just lying to everyone still. We've been, this has been nothing more than a straight up lie for the last hundred years. We know that. We know that yep. for a fact. But, you know, even with the restrictions that the industry had been put on the industry at a national level, being unable to utilize certain avenues for information. Yep, certain, all, certain communication lines are cut off from us, right? But there are so many of them that are now the communication lines of tomorrow that are available to us, that we need to come together. Like you were talking about your your friend who was the filmmaker, man, let, let's, uh, you know, I would love to team up with you and, and him and say, let's just do for the first time a four-walled documentary that we go out here right now. You know, there's four-walled there. You can go to theaters and literally on some of their dead time, especially right now, because they don't have enough content, you can go into a theater and say, look, you know what, we'll put this in there for you and we'll four-wall it. And, you know, let's split the revenue and we'll utilize that. But you need to, I think, we'll, if we could put out a quintessential, entertaining, informative, fun documentary right now and put it in movie theaters across the country, you build it, they will come. So I'll tell you what, I had this same conversation with my buddy Bird, who I mentioned earlier, um, about 12 months ago. And we started to go to <clears throat> certain production companies and producers. 
and they honestly didn't want to hear anything about it, which I thought was really interesting because a lot of them are consumers, right? Being in the film industry and in the entertainment industry, everyone seems to consume. Correct. But now, you know, that was 12 months ago before the information came out in the last couple of months about the fact that last year alone in 2021, we sold over 25 billion dollars worth of cannabis, legal cannabis in America. And we probably sold another 50 billion dollars worth of gray gray market, black market cannabis. So that's about 75 billion dollars worth of product being sold, which puts that as one of the top three selling products in America. We also recognize that the cannabis industry actually was one of the biggest job suppliers in America. They were the number one vertical of 127,000 jobs created in 2021, probably double that this year coming. So again, those who said no a year ago, I think are all trying to figure out how to jump to the table as quickly as they can, because they know that in spite of them, it's coming. Yeah, for sure. And, and even the pandemic made us essential. Absolutely. So, and, you know, you're looking at a, at, a, at a divided America, but the only thing that America had in common was, uh, you know, during January 6th, you know, there was a lot of pot being smoked as people went invading the, the Capitol. And, you know, and across the country right now, there's a lot more of it being smoked by each side. So, you know, yeah. you can go back and look at the Civil War in America. The only thing that the North and South had was that, that gray and blue uniforms were made from hemp fibers. Yep. So people need to literally back up and educate themselves. But I think the more and more we can try to get the ball rolling and educating the masses, things will change. I, I love that you bring all of this to the table, man. You're 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 preaching to the choir and you're hitting every note right. And I tell you what, one of the things I like to educate people on that seem to not understand cannabis and where it's always been within this country is back in the 1600s through the 1800s. You can be thrown in jail for not growing hemp Correct. in this country. I was I was talking to somebody. Somebody just asked me that question. Uh, I did a, a podcast for somebody else outside of the country. He was saying, well, tell, tell him, because we were talking off channel about the fact. I said, what you don't understand is that, man, back in our forefathers' day, you were considered unpatriotic if you did not grow hemp. Yep. Why? Because yep. hemp was what was, that's number one, every sale, every rope, Every canvas, the word canvas comes from cannabis. Everything that we utilize from clothing to, we even ate it on board ships. They had supplied with hemp seeds because and we, we fed our cattle. Correct. And, and we, we used to import it in from places like Russia and Europe. So we used to have it everywhere at all times. We ate hemp seed because we knew that the seed was the highest protein laden seed on the planet at the time. So people were eating porridge on a daily day and then wonder why we see so much illness that we didn't see back then, knowing that we've now taken it out of our diet because it's not been there to help regulate our endocannabinoid system. Come on, man. You're a smart man, Montel. You're, you're, you're singing my, my, you're singing everything I need everyone else to say. So I'm telling you, well, I'm, I'm glad that your magazine covers some of these things and, and you continue Absolutely. to cover them. And, and I'm, I'm hopeful, you know, if you ever, you need me to help you out there, I'm there. Um, but from a historical standpoint, people don't even understand that you know, it's a plant that's been around for 5,000 years, written about in every cornucopia of medical of medicine from, from 3,000 years on. And it, uh, there's about 50,000 uses for it as well. So it's, it's amazing. It's amazing that we've been fighting it for so long. I'm glad that we have people, you know, for the past hundred years that have been battling against this and fighting that stigma and speaking up and screaming it. 
Um, and it's really been amazing to see people like yourself and a lot of other people that I've known personally throughout my life over the past couple of decades that have really stepped up and, and sort of tried to change things as much as we can within our own personal circles so that that kind of stuff spreads. That's how we do it. It's That's through good. personal stories with education and science that I'm going to have continuing to go forward in Fat Nugs magazine. That's how we raise and uplift the plant in our culture. It's through our own personal stories and connections and how we've helped our family members. And now my grandma is back smoking it when she was smoking in the 60s. She stopped in the 70s because of Nixon. And now she's back smoking it. You know, that kind of stuff. My mother, who just turned 72, she came to me not too long ago and said, I would love to try that again. And I said, I got you, Ma. Would love to. Gotcha. Yep. Well, you know, those are the kind of stories that need to be told, but they need to be then backed up with definitive science that proves the reason why we seek it out. Yep. And you know, what people don't understand is that, you know, there in the last 20 years in America, there has been well over 35,000 research papers published around the world, 3,500 of them last year alone. Yep. Double-blind studied, uh, uh, peer-reviewed studied research papers published. There's more published data on cannabis than there is on alcohol. Yep. It's amazing. And I, and I had this conversation on another podcast about two weeks ago that we've had over 30,000 published studies and articles and all kinds of stuff over the past few decades alone um, on cannabis and its effects and its, its health benefits and all of that kind of stuff. So and, and we don't even we don't even talk about the fact that our own federal government did a lot of the research that backed up a lot of those public documents. Our own government owns the patent on CBD. Yeah. It's yeah. you know patent you know, U.S. patent number six six three zero five zero seven. It's yeah. there, and in their abstract, it tells you what our government has lied to us about for yep. the last twenty years. Because it, it it actually in in the abstract explains exactly what the federal government believes the value of cannabis is. Yep. And, but it's still schedule one. Right. And what's really funny is that we see states like Florida where, uh, you know, you have everyone is medical. Right. And now they're stepping up. Um, you know, the, the, the pharmaceutical industry is stepping up the pressure on lawmakers to sort of pass these things where they're limiting the amount of cannabis that can be consumed. And I'm, it just blows my mind that this kind of stuff is still happening, man. Absolutely. And it's only happening because. You know, unfortunately, you know, we got a generation of politicians that just need to die off. Go home. I talk Shut the fuck up. You know what I'm saying? A hundred percent, dude. That that has to happen because you know, these are the diehard people who are smoking a joint uh out back of the house up in Washington, DC, but turning around yep. and laughing about it when they step out in public. And when you've seen the Matt Gates of the world, these guys who we know were consuming as much drugs as they possibly could when they were at private bull parties, but turning yep. around and saying that cannabis is bad for you. Do Talk. as I say, do what I say, not as I do, right? That's Absolutely. the shit that we deal with here. Absolutely. But again, I think it's magazines like U.S. Fat Nugs that's going to change the paradigm because the more and more we can openly discuss the truth, I think people will start to say, hmm. It's I like, tell me a little about what, what is Three Good Buds? Yeah, so three. I'm glad you asked. So Three Good Buds is uh, a company and a brand that, I, I'm the CEO and co-founder. I've uh, co-founded it with uh, a couple of great guys, Aaron Weiss and Daniel Crawford. And what we are doing is really building sort of a, a very positive, supportive ethos around the brand, creating a community for people to join 
and sesh with other people, smoke with other people, talk to other people that are true cannabis lovers, people that work in the industry, people that are a part of the community, people that have brands, people that are trying to help others land jobs. So for instance, this past Friday, we held our first live sesh. We called, our, we called it our first live uh, sesh with friends. And we had a ton of people that joined the call. I had four recruiters on the call and we sort of introduced the community, had a little back and forth. Everybody is smoking with each other. And then the recruiters, they had an opportunity to uh, address everyone, let them know sort of the things that they're looking for within, uh, you know, when, when they're looking for candidates, um, let, let us all know. Um, what their current openings are. So that kind of stuff. So what we're doing is really building a community through Three Good Buds that's just supportive cannabis people supporting each other and being as helpful as possible to one another, period. That's really, that's really, really good. And you have more sessions coming up? We will. So we'll do at least one every month. And we have special guests on every time. Maybe we can talk about having you on at one point. Um, to address people and, and talk about all kinds of stuff, whether it be, um, you know, legalization things, legislation going on, states that are coming up, um, jobs and recruiters to musicians and other advocates, um, scientists, educators, nurses, doctors, those types of people. Those are the kinds of folks we're going to have on to address the entire community and have a back and forth and, and, and question and answer sessions and all those kinds of things. And oh, always people are smoking together. And that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to uplift the plant, show it in good community terms where good people are actually, you know, consuming and having intelligent conversations where we're uplifting the plant, uplifting and supporting one another. That's what we're doing. So, well, you know, speaking of, let's uplift a little bit. What do you think? What's your take of, you know, the future of cannabis? Give me a two-year idea and maybe a five-year idea. What's your projections over the next two years? I still don't see it legalized, unfortunately, not federally. Um, I don't see it off the Schedule 1 list yet. I'm hoping, I'm hopeful that before the next election cycle, we do get that. Um, I just don't see it happening because it's not going to go through the proper channels or go through the right channels and get passed through the Senate. That's probably what I'm talking about here. And I, I think if I, I echo what you're saying is I think, but yeah, if somebody comes up with the walks into one of these DNC, RNC meetings and says, you know, guys, we can solidify our chances of winning if we just go right ahead and pass, take it off the schedule and pass some sort of you know, uh, a new cannabis legislation and get it yep. passed and take credit for it. Yep. We can put our party in office. That's going to happen, but I don't think that's going to happen in the next two years. What do you think this next five years look like? So I'm hoping over the next five years, we do reach that, you know, descheduling de point, um, legalization point. And we have states opting into because they're being forced to if they have to, right? Um, so that people can actually have good, clean cannabis whenever they want, whenever they need, whether it be in their food or their drink, or they wake up in the morning and it's a cannabis pill that comes actually from full spectrum plant, you know? So mm -hmm. I'm really looking at uh, really a global, much more of a global movement when it comes to mm -hmm. cannabis. And I think you'll see more and more, especially European countries, Germany, for instance, you're going to see more and more people coming well, around. Germany is already passed now medically. 
right. to full legalization. Right. So I think we're going to see more and more uh, countries and, of course, ourselves, I hope within the next five years, actually take on full legalization, which is where we need to be. Yeah, America doesn't understand that the rest of the world in the last three years has been well over 45 countries that have, have, have literally pulled out of the U.N. treaty to not uh, uh, share hemp. And we're going to, you know, there, here we are and have been for, you know, about 50 years, one of the world's leaders in cannabis development. We're going to very quickly get left in the dust by countries yep. like India, China, Spain, Japan, Japan, Colorado, I mean, uh, Colombia, Thailand, yeah, Thailand, Colombia, you know, Argentina, Chile, they're all over the world that are that are now recognizing the value of something. And and it's not just for human consumption. The rest of the world has gotten way ahead of us when it comes to you talked about the 500, there may be 1500 different uses of the hemp plant from everything from hemp plastics to hemp batteries to, you know, hemp Crete to hemp uh, insulation. Um, the world understands and recognizes the value of this plant and is going to put us in a position where we're going to be kind of trying to play catch up. Yep. Yeah. Thousands and thousands of different uses for the plant. And if we don't do the right thing, Sooner rather than later in this country, we are absolutely going to be left behind because we're going to be fighting amongst ourselves <laughs> about what is and isn't right about the plant. And we all know that that's bullshit at this point. The plant has its place. It should have its place within our society. We should be consuming on a daily basis some sort of cannabinoid medicine if, uh, you know, if you have access to it. These are the things that we need. True normalization true decriminalization, true legalization so that we all have access to it whenever we feel like it for whatever the hell we want. Because, you know, honestly, I've always believed this. All cannabis use is therapeutic, period. That's exactly what it is. That's one one of the things that I've said, you know, continuously. I don't care if people admit it or not. Anybody who chooses cannabis over alcohol or chooses cannabis as their euphoria of choice are doing so for a medical reason, whether they know it or not. If Bingo. It's sleeping better, it's for lowering their anxiety, but it's for feeling better, relaxing when you come home from work. That's all medical. Even if you, you just get a good it. laugh, even if you just get a good laugh, that is medical. That's therapeutic in itself. The plant is therapeutic in itself from nature, by nature. So you consuming it gives you the therapeutic qualities or the medicinal properties that the, that the plant offers, regardless of intent. And because we don't recognize, I mean, there's no other, there's not another plant on the planet that has the impact it does on the human or mammal because of this thing that's called an endocannabinoid system, because we create our own cannabinoids, we make them ourselves, they're antagonized by this plant. There is proof now, scientific proof that shows that there are certain biomarkers that go with certain diseases that we know if they go up, the disease becomes more virulent. And we know for a fact that there are molecules within the cannabinoid that make those biomarkers go down. Yep. There's not really another plant on the planet that does so through an endogenous system Yep, as cannabinoids do. So, and, and, and almost every living thing on the planet has that system inside of them. So absolutely. it just makes sense for us to be feeding our ECS. Absolutely. No, so anything else you want to add, my friend? 
Uh, I tell you what, there are, uh, along with Fat Nugs Magazine and Three Good Buds, I've also been doing some biz dev and creative marketing with a company called um, Element Apothic. They have been, they were the first company to kind of bring me into the legal space. And it's very much medically focused. They do amazing work, woman owned, sort of uh, from the legacy or traditional side of things is where the brand came from as well. So I wanted to make sure that I was able to you know, give them sort of a shout out for really helping me sort of get my foot into the legal side of things as well. Sure. If, if anybody wanted to reach out to you or get a hold of you, where would they go? Yeah, um, several places. The big place that I live really is LinkedIn. Um, so just look up Dustin Hawksworth on LinkedIn. Of course, I'm uh, Fat Nugs Magazine is, is on LinkedIn, is on uh, Instagram as well. Um, so you, you anybody in, in, that ever wants to talk to me about cannabis or just reach out and, and shoot the shit, please Find me on LinkedIn. Find me on Instagram. I, I'd love to talk, and um, I'm always willing to talk about cannabis. I do this all day long, every day at this point, man. Absolutely. Well, my friend, at some point in time, let's let's uh, recircle the idea. I'm going to tell you, as much as we believe that the Hollywood industry is, they, they the only reason why they tired of cannabis discussions was because when they realized that Snoop Dogg and Martha Stewart didn't work. Yeah. Why? Because this is Snoop Dogg and Martha Stewart. I don't want to work anyway. So, I mean, <laughs> excuse me. Um, as so, far as the mass following, yeah. I mean, I think some of, they had cult following, right? I think they were fun to watch a little bit here and there, but as far as a mass following, you're right. Yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm not knocking either one of them, but I'm just telling you, that's not what the general public, that's not what your mother wants to look at. Oh, that's 100%. Not what was going to look at. So, yeah. I mean, at some point in time, when we realize that we don't have to make fun of it, we can actually utilize it as an educational source. I think we find that more people will gravitate to it than they think. Yeah, thanks for saying that, man. Seriously, that's that that's huge. And I wish more people had that thought process when it came to the plant, for sure. And, you know, I mean, again, when we look at when, when finally Hollywood recognizes that the fact that, you know, you take a look at any of these stream shows that are the most popular out there right now. You know, what do they do? The hero or the heroine comes in their apartment. They pour themselves four inches of some brown liquor and belt down three, four, five glasses of it. Not never seem to be affected by it, but they belt yeah. down three, four, five glasses of it. And they think that's the norm. That's not the norm. We've already yeah. proven that cannabis right now is really outperforming alcohol. And for the first time, there's been a, a recent report out that says that cannabis smoking outnumbers the number of cigarette smokers yep. in America. Yep. I'm glad you, I'm glad you brought that up because I read that the other day and I was, I was sort of blown away by it, but I'm not surprised. And, and really, to be honest with you, here's sort of uh, a problem that I see. We do a lot of statistics stuff. We do a lot of uh, question answer stuff when it comes to trying to find data on cannabis and, and consumption in, in, with Americans. And even though we at this point have over, I think, 65 up to almost 70 percent of the population has either consumed or currently consumes or has a very positive outlook on the plant. 90 percent plus believe it should be medical, but go right ahead. No, I was just about to say it's even greater than that, because when we're asking these survey questions from people and we're sharing this data because it's still illegal, most people don't answer that question honestly. So you're looking at anywhere, probably 80 to 90% of people have either consumed, consume or condone consuming and think it should be a part of everyday life and should be legal in this country. So we need to have those conversations. We need to be pushing it much more than we do. And even though 
you know, what's, what's really bad is when it does get pushed these days, a lot of it is negative, especially from big mainstream media, CNN, Fox, all of those. They, I swear last year they released at least five or six terrible articles that had no place in media whatsoever. They weren't real studies. There they was no back the lies. They exactly. Back the lies and the exactly. lies need to stop, my friend. That's what I'm saying. You know, again, we we'll, I'll circle back to you. Well, our group will reach out to you. But I mean, I think this it's time now if we could just, you know, again, come up with the funding to pull it off. Yeah. I'm telling you a four walled uh, program or even an OTT program right now. Sure. On cannabis would be the game changer in the industry worldwide. I'd love to, man. And we can definitely have that conversation and we can pull in my buddy as well and, and see what he has to say. Sure. All right. Now I'll reach. I'll look forward to doing that, my friend. So and we don't have to do that on tape. We can just do that and chop it up. Okay. Love it. Absolutely. Look, you stay well, you stay safe, you know, keep preaching the good word. Okay. Absolutely. You too, man. And thanks for all the work that you do. I really appreciate it. And thanks for having me on the show. Super excited to be here, dude. Thank you. I'm so excited. If you really enjoyed this interview with Mr. Dustin, Hawksworth, please make sure you tell your friends, spread the word out there, let them know, and make sure you keep tuning in to Let's Be Blunt with Montel. Thanks for joining me on Let's Be Blunt with Montel. Please make sure you're subscribed and hit the bell to be notified when new episodes post each week. We'd love to hear your feedback also, so please send us your comments. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. I'm Larry Mishkin, and I'd like to invite you to join Rob Hunt and me on our weekly podcast, The Deadhead Cannabis Show. Each week, we explore the latest cannabis and jam band news and reminisce with other deadheads and jam band lovers about the great musical acts that we've seen and heard. Check out a new episode every Monday.